My goal for Blogcast was to make it in a week. Like that was my goal. I want to have a finished version of this in a week with like a dashboard and everything. And I ended up making that and I got my first paying customer in that week, like at the end of the week, which was really great. And that one I worked on for like half a year or maybe a year. I'm not exactly sure. And that one ended up making like, uh, it was doing $50 uh, a month, which is like, it's not a lot, but like... I was a teenager at that point. I didn't really have any expenses aside from like $5 a month digital and service. So it was really, really nice. Hello and welcome to Developer's Journey the podcast bringing you the making of stories of successful software developers to help you on your upcoming journey. My name is Tim Morgneau, and on this episode 146, I receive Miguel Pietrafita. Miguel is a 19 years old indie maker. And do I need to say more? Oh, no. Miguel, welcome to Dev Journey. Hey. So, Miguel, the show exists to help the listeners understand what your story looked like and imagine how to shape their own future. So, as always, let's go back to your beginnings. Where would you place the start of your Delbus journey? Sure. So, I like I had an old computer that my parents gave me when I was um, like maybe eight or ten. But I like to play with it and like try things. I messed with the Windows registry and deleted temporary files and all those things that you do to see what happens. I've always been like um, interested in computers and technology in general. The real coding, uh, or the when I was introduced to coding, happened in school. We had this uh, technology class where we basically learned uh, Word and Excel and PowerPoint and all these things year after year. And then one day the teacher got tired of teaching us the same thing over and over again and decided we were going to learn HTML and. I mean, it lasted like two classes, maybe, because no one got it, and then he went back to work. But it, cause like, I, I knew about C, I know about all these things, but they were like too complicated for me to get started. And something like HTML was a lot more approachable. So I, I once I figured that existed and that I, I didn't even need needed to run anything special to use it, you could just open a browser. Uh, yeah, I started learning on my own. Ooh, that is good. That is good. That reminds me of, of my start as well. One of my uncles was a programmer. And I, when I asked him, hey, can you teach me something? He gave me a, a book about C and said, hey, everything is written here. You just have to follow this. And I read through the book and I was uh, I found it fascinating. I just couldn't figure out how to compile the whole thing. And so I was just theoretically playing with my book and that was it. <laughs> And I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> so I understand this idea of not having to compile anything, just tinkering with a, with a text file and just loading it in a folder and seeing what that does. That, that, is, that is very intuitive. Yeah, I also, like, I, I had downloaded some PDFs about C and C++, and, but th there were, like, university-level stuff, and I was, like, maybe... 10, 11 at this point. So it wasn't really approachable. Okay. But but you were in Tinkerer, you had say you have said you were playing with a registry and probably formatting your, your hard drive a couple of times because you messed up with Windows too much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was the type of kid who just like sees a button and the best way of learning how things work is just like try them out and see <laughs> if it breaks, well it breaks. <laughs> Which is perfect for HTML5. You can try it out and see what breaks yeah. and then uh, look at the uh, the dev tool 
rules and see what what changed and uh, and go back. That that is, that is cool. Yeah, and also you don't break your computer, which is HTML, which is also nice. <laughs> Indeed, it is. <laughs> okay, so how did you? Um, so you, you put your finger into the machinery there with a with a teacher uh, showing you that this word ex world exists. Uh, how do you get from there? How did you start tinkering and, and learning about that? Yeah, so the first thing was just like learning HTML by basics, which I did in class. Uh, then I just went home and continued learning on HTML. Like I looked through tables. I, we were also for another class. We were using this platform which had like interactive exercises and they had an embed button in there. And so I basically discovered um, iframes and like putting one site's content into the other. And my first web page, I think it was like some interactive content from this site that I made because you could create your own exercises and stuff just like embedded in a page with a title or something like that. And then my school actually had like an index page. Like we had computers and when you open a browser in that computer, it had like a, a directory of all the links you could do. And it was like really nice with CSS animation, like when you hover and, it's, and the logo spinned and stuff like that. So I basically wanted to figure out how they made that. And I mean, the spin and everything took me a while to figure out because like I didn't know what CSS was. But I, I just viewed the source, see like what happens if I change this. And I ended up making my own for my computer with like all my all my links, which weren't that much. But basically, I cloned that. And that was like my first design, not only original design, but like full web page with CSS that I copied and stuff. Okay. So so you basically reverse engineered the um, the intranet homepage of your school. I mean, it's not reverse engineered. You just right-click, uh, view source, uh, copy-paste. But like, yeah, I tried to figure out how it worked. And like, what happens if I change this? What happens if I... I did not know anything about CSS but I managed to figure out more or less how the animation worked. Yes, like what line you could remove and it removed the animation. That was like the way of figuring out how things work. So yeah, I recreated that. Cool. That's really cool. Did you at some point start learning things from scratch or did you go by tinkering like this and, and try on error and really trying how uh, seeing how um, how you can modify the existing um, state? I mean, at some, even now, my preferred way of learning anything is just like project-based, like making a project. If I want to learn a new technology, I make a project with it and try to figure it out as I go. Now I have like a more, a better understanding of how things work in general. Like I had to pick up Java for a project that I did last week, just a small thing. And I had never used Java and I was, it wasn't more like tinkering because like I have a general understanding of how programming languages work. So I could pretty easily get into that and know what to search for on Stack Overflow and things like that. But yeah, at the start, it was more like I have no idea how any of this works. Let's uh, look through the lines. Let's try to understand what each one is adding. If I'm not sure what one does, let's comment it out see what changes and stuff like that that, that is that is interesting um, w when you discovered css that that was a new world so did you did you did you just like like you said just comment things out and see what what what, what changes or did you try to understand the whole um first the big picture and see see how css is structured and etc or really tinker at the line per line level 
Yeah, so the thing about CSS is like I knew CSS existed. I knew what like, I I mean I, I knew text uh, align center and stuff like that. I didn't really know CSS until much later. Like the first perks that I made were basically pulling in Bootstrap and forgetting about it mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, we can talk about this later, but I, I actually learned um, CSS through Tailwind CSS, mm-hmm. which okay. is this utility-based CSS framework. So it was more of like. Um, I mean, I knew at that point I could write some CSS, but it was more of like I learned to use Tailwind and then I slowly learned the underlying properties the Tailwind classes applied, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So first using using the framework and then slowly or gradually um, gravitating back towards CSS and understanding what Tailwind is really doing in, in, the, uh, in, uh, in the back. I mean, the thing about CSS is that you don't have to learn CSS because CSS is just like a really simple, here's a rule with a property a value and that's it. The thing is, then you have to learn all the different values and how to use them. And that's where, because the thing about Tailwind is I can just pop in 10 classes on an element and it will show up, like I can refresh my browser and see it in real time almost. So it was more of like, I know CSS, like I could write this on my own, but learning to design in CSS and learning to design in the browser was something that I did with Tailwind instead of going like i don't think i've ever made a project that was like fully css that i had to write a lot of css for i i jumped straight from like bootstrap and uh bullman all these things to tailwind Mm -hmm. i see i see i see Uh, what's in my mind right now it's also the uh the the analogy with uh with javascript and uh something like 10 years ago um jquery was still um really booming you could see really um developers first doing things in jquery and then slowly realizing that you could do that um, with JavaScript, with, with plain old vanilla JavaScript as well, and seeing when to use which and really see, okay, th- you don't need Java, uh, jQuery in this case. You can do it in plain JavaScript, or you really have to use the jQuery in some time. And so you could really see the developers going back and forth when they realized how things interface together. Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly the same. Like, I get that analogy. I did that with when I got into PHP, which was, like, my first proper programming language, and we can talk about this in a second. Mm-hmm. But, like, the thing about Tailwind is it's it's not really an abstraction. It's just, like, a layer on top. Basically, they for each CSS property that exists, almost, you get a class. Like, maybe you have to, you want to set padding. You say uh, PB4, and it has, like, an inner scale mm-hmm. of, like, values that you can customize and whatever. So it's not like an abstraction, like jQuery would abstract a lot of functionality for you. It's more of like a one-to-one mapping, but using Tailwind for me helped me to move quicker. And also like I could, I know it made more sense for me, like learning, oh, so I want to make a card that just add a shadow, add add a few borders, add like a, a margin and stuff. And also Tailwind has a really great documentation and you can you can see for all the examples, you can see like uh, for all the properties, you can see examples. So it really helped me like see how can I use all these things together and understanding Flexbox and all these different things. Okay, I see, I see. You, men- you mentioned PHP. Um, did you have to go into PHP? How did you choose? You mentioned Java as well. How, how would you choose to acquire with air quotes a new new uh, new language or a new framework yeah so basically i had been doing like html for i don't know around a year it wasn't like consistently it was just like i was starting i was you know in on some breaks i would go to the library and try to code on the computers they had there and also at home play the, playing around with stuff like i knew i had a pretty good understanding of like this is server this is client like the difference and that you can there are some things that you can just not do with client like authentication for example so i i wanted to 
learn to actually make apps. Because like HTML by itself doesn't really do that much. And like I was already down the web track. So PHP seemed like one of the best choices that I could make. And the thing is, like I I remember I took the Code Academy course on PHP when it was free. And I basically speed ran through that in like uh, one Friday. And I got a pretty general understanding of things. I like I I did the whole thing, including object-oriented programming and stuff, but I didn't really get that. I just like understood what they told me and completed the exercises, but didn't really like I w- didn't really know how to use it. And then I I built like a few test things. Like I remember building like a license manager app, something that you could connect to a database. I was writing the queries by hand and everything. And like verify if uh, you, it had an API endpoint that you could verify if a license existed or not. I didn't even ex- uh, know JSON existed at this point, so I made kind of made my own uh, <laughs> format for to return things, which wasn't great. And then pretty fast, actually, I only made like a one complete app in PHP. I mean, complete app. It was like three PHP files. Like all the database and authentication code was mostly copied from the PHP docs. And then I stumbled upon Laravel, which is a PHP framework inspired by Rails and all these different things. And that was the thing that really clicked for me and really... Actually, what I've been building until just recently, I've built all my projects and apps with Laravel. Okay, okay. You you mentioned projects and apps um, um, quite a lot of times, and, and I looked at your uh, your homepage before, and <laughs> there's a whole bunch of projects there. Um, how do you... So uh, I, I assume you are really project-driven. You take a project, and you said it uh, as well. You take a project and, and do something, and, and through doing this, you will learn something new. And so the question I have is, how do you choose the projects you want to do? And how do you make sure that those projects enable you to learning what you want to learn? Yeah, so at the start, it was like, like I remember, as I mentioned, I started learning Laravel. I found this great um, site called Laracast, which is basically like a course platform just for Laravel. And they had like free courses for like learning Laravel from scratch and everything. It's like a really, really great resource. They also like update them every year and stuff. And after learning like the basics, the model view controller model and stuff, I said like, okay, I want to try out something. And basically I just made, I think it was like a profile. I, I don't remember what it was. It was just like, it wasn't a real thing. It was just like a combination of things I want to figure out how to do. Like I remember at some point there was a way to upload avatars because I wanted to learn file uploads. There was also like endpoints for with validation and stuff, authentication, because that comes out of the box and stuff like that. But after that, after I, I did that for like a week and then I got t- tired of that. And I... F- I ask myself, like, what can I make that will actually teach me? Like, I wanted to make a full project, basically. And around that time, uh, I was participating in Google Coding, which is like a competition that Google organizes for teenagers to learn to code and stuff. It was This was in December. And I noticed that all these organizations where you had one of the first tasks you had was like, okay, so you create a GitHub account, you request to join our organization, Some of, someone approves you, and then you basically start a few repos and stuff like that. And the thing was, uh, like, like, I, like as I mentioned, even before learning HTML, I read a lot of stuff about C and stuff. So I had a pretty good understanding of like APIs and servers and stuff. And I noticed like there's a pretty big bottleneck with like 
everyone having to basically fill out a Google form with your GitHub username and then someone has to come in and manually add you to the organization. And so I, th I thought there's probably some endpoint on the GitHub API that allows people to invite others to organizations. So it would be really cool if I made an app that basically allowed you to have people out to invite them into your organization. Mm -hmm. And I took, a, I made a few important decisions with this. Basically, I, I decided the project would be open source. And my reasoning for that was basically I'm making my like second ever Laravel app, third PHP app. The code is probably going to be awful. I want people to be able to look at the code and tell me there's a better way to do this and contribute. And yeah, and around that time, like when I got into Laravel, I started like, uh, Laravel has an awesome community with lots of, of packages. And so I started to contribute to some of those. I contributed to the Laravel framework a few times as well. So I was really into, into open source at that time. And that was also how I got the first people to follow me on Twitter and started building my audience and stuff. And so I started working on that. I managed to get it working. It was ugly, but it was uh, <laughs> it worked, which was nice. And it also a few big organizations started using it. I even got some like uh, there's this organization called Fos Fos Asia, which is like like general open source in Asia organization that organizes a lot of e events and stuff. Also, the open source design uh, organization they actually designed the logo for the application for free because like it was open source and stuff and. Yeah, that was really cool. That got me into... It was like a big project because I had to make a dashboard. I had to make authentication. I started adding new things. At first, you just entered your username and clicked a button and you were invited. Then you had to log in with GitHub and you were redirected to the invitation and stuff like that. And I actually ended up redesigning the thing a couple of times. Now it looks a little bit better. Like that was the first project that I picked up when Tailwind actually came out to figure out how I could implement a design. So yeah. And after that, it, had, it was more of a kind of... Like, I know I will probably learn something with anything I make. So basically just I had a cool idea that I think this would be cool to work on. This would be fun. And or I was playing around with stuff and figured like, oh, this would be interesting to do this with this. And then I just went with it. That's fascinating. Um, you, you said something. You said um, I... I want to figure out how this works. So it really sounds to me like uh, you have some experiments in your mind that you want to you want to try out. You want to understand how how logging works. You want to understand how um, how um, authentication works, etc. And then you you find you find a way to do that. That 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 is that is really cool. But how do you go over the uh, the problem, the, the the usual problem of finishing things, of not just trying it out, understanding how that works? And then leaving it be and uh, leaving it to, to, to rot and not finishing the project. And you seem to really go the extra mile of, of finishing things and pushing stuff really on the internet so that people can use it. That is fascinating to me. How do you, how do you do that? How do you manage? Yeah. To push so yourself? part of it is basically that I'm a perfectionist. Ah. And just in general, like for example, one of the la latest projects I, I released, which we can talk about later, which is Saitos, it took me eight months to finish. And it is not because like the, the the parts that matter were like I had that on the first month. It's because I redesigned the whole front end four times and actually five times now because I redesigned it again after, <laughs> uh, just uh, on December. Mm -hmm. Like I really and even more now that I got into design, I really obsess over e every detail. Also, like the thing about the. Uh, finishing projects is that I don't finish a lot of projects. Like I have a, I start a lot of things. The thing is, you usually just see me talk about the things I finish. Mm -hmm. 
Because <laughs> like the other things don't last more than a week. So I may make one tweet about it, but the one that guarantees tweets like for weeks and then actually has a finished product is the one you see. It's kind of like survivorship bias. Like okay. the even the project lists on my website is kind of like I I only add things in there that I released in some form. So yeah, I play with a lot of stuff. Like for example, I I usually every summer I I start from three to five different project ideas and then pick one to continue after. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I I just play around with a lot of stuff, and if you if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that because I'm always tweeting about things that I'm learning and discovering. But the things that people know about, because they are they are the ones they are the ones that I talk about the most, and that's because they are the ones that actually don't die on the first week. <laughs> okay, and the list is still long. I must say, I'm, uh, I'm yeah. really impressed. <laughs> so if that is just the tip of the iceberg, I, I have no idea how big the iceberg really is. <laughs> But uh, that, that is really cool. That is really cool. Awesome. You you said you you um you took part to uh, the OSS uh, community, so so um, submitting pull requests to Laravel. W when did you do that, and and how did you decide that it was the right time to submit something? You also made the comment that it was uh, when you when you pushed this first uh, open source project um, that it was uh, your second Laravel uh, project, and you were afraid uh, people would or you, you were hoping people would would correct you and tell you how how it's using. So how how did yeah. you muster the courage to to submit a pull? So request? what I started doing is I started reading through lots of code. Like, because the great thing about open source is that you can go to all these awesome packages and you can just read the code and it's going to be PHP and it's usually going to be more or less understandable. And if it's not, you can either, I opened a few videos like, hey, great project. I'm just wondering, like, I am just learning new stuff and I'm wondering why you did this, why you took this approach and stuff. And people are usually, like, obviously they, they take more time to reply than actually back requests because it takes more time. But especially in the Laravel community, they, they were really helpful and they helped me a lot. And I started like, there was uh, like a few years maybe where I basically read through every pull request that came through for Laravel. Wow. Like every day I would check my GitHub notifications and see, oh, so these people PR this in and then it got accepted or it got rejected and stuff. And so at some point I had like a pretty general idea. At first it was more like uh, just quick fixes. I think I did like, uh, I'm not going to check now, but Probably the first one was like typo or something like that. And then eventually, as new features were added, like I remember uh, Laravel has this uh, templating language called Blade, which is like HTML with a few sprinkles in so that you actually don't have to write PHP in it. You can just do add if, and it is a conditional block, so you don't have to like open bracket PHP if whatever return. And the thing about that is uh, that got added, and then we got like directives. You could make your own add if things. And I thought, I'm doing if um, the user is authenticated a lot, so maybe I should add, add auth to check that. And like that's something that literally every Laravel app uses today, <laughs> which is pretty crazy to me. Like just uh, browsing through um, applications in the wild and seeing some code that I contributed five years ago. That must be awesome. But yeah, in general, just like I thought, or maybe someone made like there was a time where people were adding like string helpers so a string between a string that and like eventually the tailor which is like the creator got a title of it and he was like no more helpers there's we are not going to accept those anymore and it became kind of a meme but there i also pr i think one or two of those because it was like low hanging fruit i 
And also I like to review, like I was reading through PRs anyway. If there was something duplicate and stuff, I would comment on it or review it. And eventually that helped uh, people start to know me as well. And I started understanding more. Maybe the things that I was reading through a few months ago that I didn't really understand, I understood now and things like that. <laughs> that is fantastic. And, and you, were, you were 16 when you started? Or 15 when you started with those open source communities? Like most of the level communities started knowing me at 16. So that's like more or less the age. This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. That's really cool. Good for you. Um, one, one question about the, uh, the, the projects again. When do you decide that a project is going to be more of a learning project? And so you can take the time and really start with a new technology, for instance, take up Java and, and start with it. Or when do you have a feeling, no, I really want to get this project uh, out the door. And so I should maybe go back to Laravel and Tailwind because I know those and I'm really, really uh, efficient with it. So going back to the the first place that I made this um, GitHub thing, after I kind of finished that or it was like a usable state, I decided, okay, now let's try something else. And I basically, like, you know this, I don't know how familiar with like uh, GitHub dependable, this is what that basically PRs your dependencies. So someone had f made the first one of those for JavaScript dependencies. Like I think it was Green Greenlinter or something like that. And I thought it would be really cool if you had something like this for PHP. Mm -hmm. And I made that. I actually, like, I already knew the GitHub API, and that was mostly the GitHub API. So I made something like that that was called Dep Dependency I, which is a pretty great name. And I'm, I'm mad that no one else has made a project with that name because it's really great. <laughs> and I, I decided to go closer source for that one because I, I had tried the open source thing. I was more confident with my code and I was hoping to, like I'm, I was seeing people in the Laravel community made paid products and I, I was hoping to eventually make a software as a service app. And like that got to production kind of, it was like beta. I never, like I opened access, but I never launched it. I, I think I may have launched it on Product Hunt, but mm, like it didn't really take off. And there was like a, this pretty big issue where like the, we updated your dependencies um, file, but the log file wasn't updated. So you have to pull it down and redo that because I basically was doing all the updates on memory. I wasn't in, uh, using the file system at all. So yeah, so I kind of, gave up on that it was like the beta got released it had users i, I think it got to like a hundred users at some point but uh, i was playing with i basically was playing more with like a ui kit that i found and i thought this would be like it was like a documentation ui kit and i thought this would be really nice to have um have it automatically generate documentation for people with this like Laravel, Laravel has really, really great documentation. Like everything is designed and the documentation is open source so anyone can PR and stuff like that. I thought it would be really nice if the lower of bar of barrier, if the barrier of entry for this kind of quality was lower. So I thought I have all this design for a documentation. It would be really nice if I could just like connect it to GitHub because I had been using GitHub a lot for the API and you could just like have a um, repository full of markdown files that just generated this. And so that was like my first, the first commercial project that I made. It was called Unmarkdocs. 
And the really great thing about this project is that I basically made my own Markdown parser so people could uh, embed videos and stuff like that that Markdown really does not allow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I can talk more about like uh, building projects and trying to figure out how to actually make money with, with learning projects in a second. But the thing about this is that for, for these first ones, there was basically like, I had like a lot of ideas because that's easy. <laughs> Coming up with ideas, at least for me, is easy. I had like an endless list of them. So I just picked something that was fun to work on wouldn't get me completely out of my comfort zone. Like I, I was doing things with the GitHub API, which I was comfortable with. I was doing things with Laravel, but also I would learn something new. For example, in this new project, I would learn Markdown. And also I, I ended up learning a lot of rejects for parsing the Markdown. So I tried to find something that was, first of all, fun. And then that it would also teach me something while not having to start from scratch every time mm, okay so you you try to keep many variables the same so you so that you're really confident about what you do and you change one variable completely maybe it's the domain learning markdown and how to to handle this or maybe it's uh it's the github api and etc and really trying to have one variable where you're really gonna learn something yeah i i basically wanted to allow myself to have a prototype of this in like a week or two weeks out mm -hmm. and then after I have that, that is the core, I can do more things. Like I, I remember before I learned CSS for uh, Mac Docs, there was this like desktop, I mean, uh, dashboard um, thing. I, I think it was like UE Kit or something like that, mm -hmm. which was just like a CSS for dashboards. And I thought, ooh, it, um, it would be nice to use this or something like that. And so I started with a template. And so I, I, I added and added more things after that, but it was like on top of that. So I'm always learning something new, but I have the foundation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did, did, did you recreate some projects with other technologies just to see how, how another technology handles uh, the use case you had in mind? I wanted to have like real projects, so I didn't really do a lot of uh, rebuilding. I recently, like when I told you, I rebuilt the, the site source uh, interface again. Mm -hmm. I basically, it was Vue, and I just ripped it all off. Like, I deleted the code and started from scratch, and I remade it in React. So mm -hmm. I did that. And also, there was, for SiteSource as well, there was, like, a part, the actual most important code of the app, the app that actually does the thing that the app is supposed to do, and maybe I can talk a little more about that. So SiteSource, uh, we have jumped a few projects. I can maybe talk about a few of the other ones because they are interesting as well. But SiteSource basically... Uh, takes um, dynamically generated sites, like sites with a backend, like a WordPress site, for example, mm -hmm. and makes them static, generates static sites from them. Ooh. And the cool thing about this is that uh, it, it basically watches for changes. So maybe when you publish a new entry on your, on your WordPress site, and then it updates the static site. So you basically get the... Um, all the thing of the all the cool things about dynamic sites, like you have a dashboard, you can have a team, everyone adds things, but you get all the benefits from static sites, which is like they load much faster, servers are incredibly cheaper, they scale uh, amazingly, and also like you can't really hack them because they are plain HTML files. Mm -hmm. And so the part that actually generates the sites was originally in PHP, and it wasn't it wasn't great. And I wanted something that was really fast. Like I wanted the conversion of almost any site to be done in less than 30 seconds. And so like I made I remade it in Go. And this was like this was my first ever Go project. Like mm -hmm. I had never touched Go. And it's like also way outside of my scope. Cause because I have been doing like PHP, some Python, and Node, but Go is like way low level. Like you had to to clean your own 
you have to do garbage cleaning yourself. All the errors, they are not thrown. You just have to catch them and stuff. So that was fun. That was a fun challenge. I ended up figuring it out with like go routines and like it's a really different paradigm and I really enjoy that. So basically I don't I usually don't rebuild stuff in other language just for fun to learn. I try to make it when it makes sense. And if it doesn't, I maybe try to build something new with that technology instead of like rebuilding something. The thing about this is that what keeps me motivated to do all these things is like having fun with the project. So I try to do things that interest me. Mm -hmm. What decided you to go in for this example with Go and not not with a scripted language uh, or, or any other? I mean, it wasn't really like a study decision. I just thought, oh, maybe this would be fun with Go and then I did it. <laughs> but also like, I know that Go has a really... First of all, um, you can compile it to a binary, which is really great for the inter infrastructure that I ended up using. So at first I was running everything on my own server, but now like the binary runs on Vercel server and I offload all of that. And I can just ship the binary without worrying for people stealing my code and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. And also, I wanted, I have to make a lot of web requests for this. And I wanted to, I have been hearing about coroutines and coroutines, like, uh, which is like basically, my understanding is like a better implementation of async await and promises. And so I, I thought maybe this would be like, I know a lot of scrapers are either Python or Go and especially more Go now. So I thought I, this is probably one of the best um, languages to build this in. And so I, yeah, now I just have to figure out how to do it. <laughs> just <laughs> big air quotes. Very cool. Yeah, really cool. It is works out. And, and you're making money with it, right? Yeah. So that's... Um, so like I said, from that second project, the dependency I won, I, my dream was to like basically make a SaaS that may, a software as a service app that makes money. So dependency, as I mentioned, I didn't, I never launched. Then the, there was this other Markdown thing, which was called a Markdocs, which I made free for open source projects because that's what like the idea was to allow people to have better documentation. And, but I also made a paid plan for a paid projects that one person ended up subscribing too, which, I mean, it was amazing because it was like my first money earned on the internet. Cool. And after that, I made something called Blogcast, which basically used uh, AI and text-to-speech, but like good text-to-speech, not Siri, mm -hmm. to convert uh, articles into podcasts. And you could just give it the URL of any article in, and, and it would convert it into audio. And you see this a lot recently. Like they have been like 20 projects launched with this and some newspapers have started it, started to use it. But like the great thing, the amazing thing is like when I started doing it, there was maybe one other project doing it. So I feel like some of it is inspired by this, which is really great. Not like the newspaper thing, but all the newspaper launching projects on Product Hunt. Mm -hmm. My goal for Blogcast was to make it in a week. Like that was my goal. I want to have a finished version of this in a week with like a dashboard and everything. And I ended up making that and I got my first paying customer in that week, like at the end of the week, which was really great. And that one I worked on for like half a year or maybe a year. I'm not exactly sure. And that one ended up making like uh, it was doing $50 uh, dollars a month, which is like, it's not a lot, but like... I was a teenager at that point. I didn't really have any expenses aside from like $5 a month, dollars in service. So it was really, really nice. Yeah. So after that, the thing that I made after that, which is that this sideshow thing, that was something that I knew would be uh, a lot bigger. Like after I basically, I launched it um, 
it's going to we're coming up on a year on that but like uh after the second month which uh was when i started getting like my friends into the app i already have one person paying me and the plan was like 19 a month so it was like a lot more already and that one it's it's an open startup so th- th- what that means is that you can go to sitesource.app slash open and see all the metrics mm-hmm. like yeah that's that's actually been doing really good i mean i don't really do any marketing outside of like tweeting about it and when i come into podcast i talk about it so <laughs> for that for not doing it for just word of mouth it's doing pretty pretty good and yeah that was that was how i started making money on the internet <laughs> that is cool and uh, is this your your plan uh, uh, as much as there can be a plan to uh, create um many small um small with with air quotes again uh projects that at some point really um enable you to to do whatever you want and and have fun with what you do or are you trying to go after the big one project or how do you do you want to continue because you're not employed right you're really on your yeah so i'm i'm not sure that's what i'm figuring that out because like the original plan was to like go to university and i'm in university this year but then like covid happened Mm -hmm. so what i'm thinking like i obviously still want to be an indie maker and have projects and work on them um i think i may try to get um to get a job for the next year just to try it out because that's something i've never done and i like i can't really tell what i prefer to do if i don't know what the options are Mm -hmm. like that's related to another thing that i've been really into recently which is crypto Mm -hmm. and ethereum and all these decentralization and stuff and where um, I have like a few places that I w- I'm interviewing for and they are all crypto because I think like uh, that's uh, the closest to the future that I can work on. So yeah, but my plan is um, to keep building all these different things because like even with crypto, that's how I learn. That's how like I recently wanted to figure out how does um, this logging with your crypto wallet work. And I ended up recreating making my own crypto library, like my own cryptography, not cryptocurrency. Like, you know how everyone says, like, don't roll your own encryption and stuff. So I did, I did just that. I made, like, an elliptic, <laughs> elliptic curve library just to mm-hmm. learn how it worked. Okay. And, like, I, I probably will never release that because, like, why? Maybe I'll put it up on GitHub. But it's how I try to understand and learn about things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That, that, is, that is fascinating. <laughs> and also, even, even with the employment and stuff, I've been working on a new thing that I've announced but I haven't uh, really onboarded anyone into, which is DM.link, which is a really interesting project because it allows people to basically subscribe to a newsletter inside of Twitter. So, for example, if you want to receive updates about DM.link, you go to DM.link. There's like a subscription button there that brings you into my Twitter DMs. And there's there's like a button in the DMs that says, yes, subscribe to this newsletter. And then every time I tweet about DM.link, you receive that tweet in your DMs. That's an interesting Which idea. is like a really interesting approach for like... Um, I mean, it's great for a few reasons. I really like... Like the advice everyone gives for like building an audience on Twitter is like, um, stick to one topic and I never really liked that like I tweet about tech I tweet about crypto I tweet about marketing I tweet about I've been learning 3D design recently and I tweet what the things that I make I um, I watched like the pay, the patent list for 
um, Apple and Google and all these things and tweet about interesting patterns when I see them. So I tweet about a lot of different things. And the, th the cool thing about this is that I can make like a DM.link list for any uh, any of these and people can just subscribe to the ones that they care about. Mm -hmm. And because like, like I know how, that there are people who really don't, like they are known technical and follow me for like um, marketing tweets. Because like as I learning the open like when i'm learning something i'm building something i tweet about it and so that's helpful to some people and these people could like subscribe to a marketing list and then they receive notifications when i tweet about marketing and they don't have to have their their feed full of tech stuff basically mm -hmm. no, that, that, that's fascinating yeah i i had a look at dm link as well um that, that uh, i need to look into it a, a bit more and uh, to understand really how that works yeah and that's really the cool. thing is i know twitter employees talked about it in like meetings and a few are subscribed to the list which is really, really uh, great. Like, I mean, it means that they are not going to shut it down, hopefully, because like there were some projects with API rate limits because I'm DMing a lot of people and they basically bump me up so that I don't hit those. Okay. And we list the thing. So it seems like Twitter likes these kind of things, which is great. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll be working more on that soon and hopefully getting a few people in. That is very, very cool. And a very interesting uh, list of projects that you have. Uh, we'll, we'll link that to the, to the show notes and so that people can find all the projects you, you mentioned. Uh, that is, that is fascinating to me. Um, we have unfortunately reached the end of our time box. Um, what, what would be the, the one advice that you would give to, um, to listeners if they wanted to, to start um, stepping a bit more into this indie making scene and making projects like this. What is the, the one advice that you think would be really important to hear? So I think something that a lot of people overlook because it's not really a part of the product, but it's also important is community. Not only, not only community for your project, which is also incredibly important to start doing marketing before you start building even, but like a community of indie makers that supports you and and you can build together and it, it serves like as um, as a um, collective knowledge service because like you don't have to fail to learn. You can learn from the failures of other people. But it also helps with motivation. Like they are, there are these communities. My friend Sergio uh, started a MakerLog, which is basically like a, it's a social network based off to-do lists. So instead of posting you Instead of like tweeting out, you post your to-do to do items and then complete them. And they have this really, really great community of people cheering into each other, helping out when someone launches something, they all tweet about it. So it's really great for like motivation, meeting people and all of these things. And I think that if you were starting, like if you've never worked on a project by yourself and you want to basically launch something, it's a great place to be in. You can just go to getmakerlog.com. It's free to join and it's free to use. You can pay for like dark mode and stuff, but it's free. You're going to find a lot of people who are in the same position as you and a lot of people who are ahead of you and behind you. And then you can just talk talk about it. Another great community is Indie Hackers, which is more of a forum style. There's also whip.chat, which is more, it's a paid community and it's a little bit more advanced for people who are, I would say, a few years into indie making. So yeah, and also in Twitter, there's like a pretty big maker community on Twitter. Mostly they get maker Logan people and stuff. You can start interacting with them and then people tweet about the things that they do. That's another great tip. If you build in the open, like you tweet what you're doing, you you have motivation to continue. You have like, um, if you don't ship for a while, people will tell you, hey, why are you not working? And it, it has like an <laughs> accountability. 
-hmm. and also people get excited about your product and maybe you are already doing marketing without really realizing it so mm -hmm. that's i think that's that i like the most non-technical technical tip that i can give <laughs> and thank you very much for that um so Miguel, where can uh, people find you online yeah so uh my like the center of everything is my twitter that's uh at miguel pf but instead of the first y a i instead of an i it's a one It's like difficult to spell. I assume it will be in the show notes somewhere. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, I also have a website uh, which has a newsletter that I haven't uh, sent anything in two years. But you can still subscribe if you, and, and you want to receive something at some point, maybe like in five years. And yeah, it also has a blog with a few technical articles. I've been, I haven't written anything in like a year. I've been starting to write. I, my goal is to like to do one post about crypto a week maybe i have like another blog for that separately but it's linked from my website i i also live code and live market and live design sometimes on twitch like i do a lot of things the best way to is to follow my twitter and i talk about all the things that i do there then people you know what you have to do <laughs> <laughs> miguel oh fascinating thank you very much for all this and uh people really uh go on to his uh his uh projects uh site and and look at all, all the things he created and uh, and and uh and try to understand um, <laughs> how fast he created things this is just amazing <laughs> this is fascinating miguel thank you very much yeah thanks for having me and this has been another episode of devdo's journey and we'll see each other next week bye-bye what an inspiring story Miguel is so young, yet he has done so much already. I really love how he casually said, well, I decided to make this project open source because it was my second PHP app and my first Laravel app, and my code was probably going to be awful, so I wanted people to be able to tell me how to make it better. This is absolutely the right things to do, yet it is an astonishingly hard barrier for most developers. I am abashed. Did you check his projects already? If not, you really, really should. And how did you like his story? Right after the recording, I had to contact a colleague of mine and talk to him about why we don't manage as a company to create small projects like that by the scores. Uh, this is really, really fascinating. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts uh, listening to Miguel's story. You can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Timothep, T-I-M-O-T-H-E-P, or use the uh, comment section on our website, devjourney.info. Now you are up. It's time to start a new project. So please decide on what you want to learn. Give yourself a short deadline. How about the end of the week? And deliver something. And if you do, and if you tweet about it, link me to it, and I'll push it further deal? Have a great week, full of learnings. Bye-bye. <laughs>